Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. Gang, welcome back. We got one of my favorite guests on today. The amazing David Liss is back with us. We are talking about that emergency terrifying case when the door flies open and there's someone who says, I think my pet died on the way here. And people start yelling about a code and getting the oxygen machine. How do you treat that? That's what we talk about. Super great episode. Really crazy useful. I hope that you love it. I, I love making it. Love David List. Love this topic. Love the learning. Happy to share with you guys. Hey, listen, real quick. Um, Remember, if you would like a shout out for your team, you're like, oh, I'd love for Dr. Andy to say something great to my best friend or my partner or my associate vet that I work with or my head technician. Um, I can make that happen. And I'm happy to make that happen. All you got to do is write an honest review of the podcast in iTunes and it doesn't have to be a five-star review. If you're like, needs to work, uh, works a little abrasive sometimes. If that's what you feel, then you can say that and I will still make you a shout out video. I will grit my teeth, uh, but I will totally do it if that's what you think. So the offer stands. Also, don't forget, we are giving away a hundred dollars a week over on drandywork.com. All you have to do is sign up for the newsletter. Head over to drandywork.com, get signed up for the newsletter, and we pick a winner off the newsletter list. You just got to be in practice, and you are all set to go. With that, let's get into this episode. As I said, it's me and the one and only David List. David is a registered veterinary technician in California. He is also double-boarded. He's got board certifications as a veterinary technician specialist in, in, in emergency and critical care, and also small animal internal medicine. He is also a certified veterinary practice manager. He is an Uncharted member, so if you're not familiar with Uncharted, um, God, it's, it's um, head over to unchartedvet.com and check that out. That is my passion project. I love it. Uh, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever been a part of. And um, and he is also a professional in human resources. So David Liss is a, a genius. He's a madman. Uh, I am so thrilled to talk to him. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Hey, everybody. I am back with the amazing David Liss. David, uh, thanks for being back with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. This is great. Love it. Good to see you, Andy. Cool. You ready to play some How Do You Treat That Again? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Great. I have for you today, um, you know, I have for you a case that I hate. Uh, <laughs> it's when the technician comes back and they say, Dr. Work, there's a, a DOA cat here. Oh, they say, God. they'll say, this cat's a six-year-old, spade female. Uh, she got left out in the cold. And then the owners hadn't seen her for a day or two. And then she, she crawled back and, uh, she's, um, they crawled back and they, they put her in a carrier and brought her in and, and they, they, they think she's, they think she's dead. She died on the way. Yeah. And so I go and I look at this cat. Um, they're in exam room six and the cat is just, it's just limp. It seems yeah. lifeless. Uh, it's, it's, it's got dirt. It's got, you know, some kind of pulled fur. It looks like it may have been attacked by something. Right. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. How, how do you treat how do you treat that? Like where yeah. where do I go from here? 
Yeah, those are the those are the worst. I agree, and it's usually you know the 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 carrier's been run into the back, right? And there's a big hubbub, and and you know, Doctor Andy, get back here now, you know, and that kind right. of thing. So you know, the first thing is, and, and and you know, the first thing is, and I train a lot on CPR stuff. You know, it can immediately become this insane cluster. Everybody runs over. People are bumping into each other, kind of thing. And everybody's got to stay calm. You got to. Everybody's got to take a chill pill yeah. um, and you know, kick into a little bit of that focused work mode versus that freak out mode. And I and I get it. You know, you've got an intensely emotional situation that's going to kind of hijack your you know your frontal lobe. So first thing is veterinarian or technician get that you know that that cat out of the carrier, and you want to assess the patient for whether they are in cardiopulmonary arrest. And that's pretty simple. Throw your stethoscope away. It doesn't matter. Look at the cat. Are they breathing? Give it about five seconds. Grab a toe and pinch that sucker, you know, till no tomorrow. And if there's no withdrawal, we actually consider them cardiopulmonary arrest. Um, and it's interesting because we used to think check pulses and listen to hearts and stuff. And um, the Recover Initiative, which is our go-to um, uh, body that kind of oversees veterinary CPR now, has done a lot of research. And they said, you know, you'll be waiting for however long to hear a heart. You might miss the pulse. None of that actually has anything to do with outcome. And so we actually assess the patients by kind of trying to stimulate them a little bit, watch for breathing or apnea. And if those two things are in place, we actually start CPR. And what will happen is if the patient, you know, spontaneously things come back again, they'll tell you, they'll wake up, they'll, you know, they'll respond. Um, But if they're not, you've started CPR so much faster and earlier than put the ears in, put the bell on, waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, I think they're in cardiopulmonary arrest and you just wasted, you know, 10 seconds. So, yeah, so shake them pinch them, watch for apnea. If those two, you know, if there's no response and there's apnea in five seconds, go right into, uh, to a basic life support. Okay. All right. Um, any questions that you want to ask the owner here, anything that we should quickly rule out? I mean, any information you want to try to get from them real fast? Yeah. You know, and and it's a good point. Um, this process, if, if the patient has been assessed to be in cardiopulmonary arrest, my opinion is that basic life support can be done by technicians. Um, and technicians going in the room, getting histories is fine too. But if, you know, again, thinking in this whole process, the the owner needs a vet, they need that, that doctor to be shown. And so I'm a big fan of letting the technicians start compressions and start trying to intubate, get the doctor into the room with the owner to ask some questions. And so, you know, there's not, um, there's not a ton, I think of like really specific ones, but you know, what, who, what, why, when, how, right. What, when did you last see this cat? What do you think happened in between um, medications? You know, big one is a cat on any meds it could have not had and caused an issue, right. OD'd on, um, you know, and, and going back to the cat, grab that bladder, make sure it's not a block cat that potassium's through the roof and it killed, you know, killed it. Um, but you, you, we do get these kind of indoor outdoor cats that get these traumas that, you know, they get attacked by something or they get hit by a car and they're just in such dire straits that sometimes, you know, the physical exam is probably going to be going to be better with a dog. I would say something more like, you know, what did it get into in the house or what did it have access to? But these indoor outdoor cats, you know, they're not going to usually eat something. They're not going to have a toxin. So it's a lot of times it's trauma. So I would think, you know, going back to that patient and doing that physical exam. Okay. Run, run me through basic life support and also, so let's just start with basic life support. And then I'm going to ask you about transitioning into some diagnostics. Sure. Uh, But let's start with basic life support. Walk me through what that looks like. What should be happening in the clinic? Yeah, sure. Real simple, right? No, I'm kidding. 
Um, it's CAB, <laughs> so compressions, airway breathing. Um, we used to do ABC, and that's the older method. So the first thing is, once that patient has been assessed to be in cardiopulmonary arrest, somebody, whoever that person is, has got to be the compressor. And so pretty much you're going to take your palm, you're going to put it right over where that elbow meets the fourth intercostal space, which is right over that cardiac apex, and you're just going to start pushing. Um, you know, basically um, what we call it the cardiac massage method or cardiac cardiac method, um, because cats have such pliable chests, we can push right over the heart and actually be pushing on the ventricles. So you don't want to pound it about a hundred beats a minute. Um, you know, and that's that whole staying alive kind of theme, you know, get that medical mental metronome going and, and start pushing on that chest. Um, and that's the most important thing. Even if you can't get them intubated in the next three seconds, you know, um, getting that com those compressions going is is super important. So somebody's got to just get those going. How, so how, so uh, just for people who've never done this, yeah. How much are we squeezing here? Are, I mean, is this is this squishing this chest? Are we worried about breaking ribs? Like, Good tell me about that. How hard am I squeezing this cat's chest? Yeah. So you really only need to squeeze the chest about a third of the width of the thorax. So you don't need to kind of touch fingers to fingers. Um, you may feel crunching, especially if there's already previous trauma or rib fractures. Um, mm -hmm. You may break ribs in the process. Like all that stuff kind of happens. But you really only need to think about if a cat's chest is you know, I don't know, like a, like a fist kind of wide, just push about a third of the way in. Um, okay. and that's all you really need. Yep. Perfect. And the crazy thing of course, is if you're pushing a third on a great Dane, it gets a little tougher. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So, does that, um, does that carry over to dogs? Uh, about a yeah. third of the way is still what I'm looking for in, in my yeah. great Dane chest compressions. Exactly. Except when you're talking about big dogs, um, and there's a few exceptions, but big dogs that are big chests, you actually want to be pushing more over the widest part of the thorax, which is more towards rib nine or 10. And you want to go a little bit more dorsal than ventral. Um, because what you're doing there is you're kind of working the um, the uh, intrapulmonary, the uh, the intrathoracic pressure, which is then going to squeeze down on the heart and the great veins, because you just can't you can't provide enough force. The chest isn't compliant enough to push right over the heart of a great vein. So you'd push more. You know how they're kind of a triangle shape, right yeah, before yeah. that hourglass. You push over that widest widest part. And I always think of it like a, I don't know what they're called, but those big fans that you push for fires. It's kind of the same idea. Oh, like the, yeah, the billows. Yeah, you want to create that biggest change in pressure, so you go the widest portion and push down. All right, cool. Sorry about that. I took us off. I took us off topic. Let's get back. No, let's get no, back no, to no. we got. So we've got our cat going. We're doing yep. the staying alive, staying yep. alive, yep. Uh, yep. Uh, and we're squeezing uh, about a third of the way uh, of the chest compression, and that's the first thing that we've got going. Okay, cool. Yep. So I've got I've got some compressions going. Where am I going from here? Yeah, next step's going to be airway. So um, you'd want one of your staff, you know, whoever's going to going to be most qualified uh, to intubate. So you grab your tubes, you grab a laryngoscope, you know, it's just an essential piece of equipment because what you've got to do is not stop compressions for anything other than at regulated intervals when you're assessing the ECG and assessing response to treatment. So you may have to intubate that patient in lateral recumbency, which can be a pain in the butt for a cat. So you've got to get a laryngoscope. You've got to, you know, get in there with a light source and be able to, you know, pull the tongue out, but get that blade back in there and get that epiglottis to kind of flop forward and you see your retinoids and then you'll pass that tube in between there. So what you have to do with a, with a <clears throat> cat or a dog really literally is take your body and turn yourself 90 degrees you're bent over, you know, so that your midline is kind of equal with their midline, your head's tilted, and you can see um, into that cat's mouth. And all of this is happening while sitting on the chest. So once you get that airway in, you then start your, your breathing process. Okay, cool. Yep. 
So uh, and you, you can, you can, I mean, I've, you know, gone into intubate cats and you can find masses, you can find foreign bodies, you can find trauma. So sometimes, you know, you got to be, my opinion is it's got to be kind of the most expert level kind of person in the clinic because you, you're going to have a real difficult intubation oftentimes and it's a tr you know it's dark and it's the wrong angle and so you know it's definitely not the chance for your new assistant to step up and try to try to tube this animal um but once you get them tubed in um you know you get them connected to an anesthesia machine or a or an ambu bag i prefer ambu bag you can just you can bag them at room air it does not have to be 100 percent oxygen um and then you just want to go real slow 10 breaths a minute so real slow one second inspiration let them expire one second inspiration and just 10 breaths a minute real slow um uh, much you know we used to think hyperventilate them that was what i was taught 20 years ago too um, you go go real slow. So it's 100 compressions a minute, 10 breaths a minute, really round, even numbers to kind of remember. Okay. Uh, why why don't I pick this cat up and just do a sternal intubation? Like as opposed to me laying sideways and doing this, what what are your concerns with sort of, is it because, I, is, does that make it more difficult to do proper compressions? Am I changing the alignment of the heart? What, why is that? That's a great question. So it's actually from literature um, and evidence. So what we know on the human side and has been translated on the veterinary side is that compressions, the the early uh, the early timing and and start of compressions and the kind of continued compressions when only stopping them at certain kind of prescribed intervals have actually improved outcomes. So what that means is that, you know, when you get compression started kind of, you know, early or as fast as you can, and you really don't stop them for anything ancillary like intubation or catheter placement or things like that, you actually have a better chance of, of having what we call return of spontaneous circulation, which is our outcome measure when a patient's circulation starts going again. Um, so, yeah, it's actually related to um, to possibly giving that patient a, uh, an even better chance of, of survival. Because, you know, you think about it in human world, like if you fall over on the side of the street, nobody's going to have an ET tube, right? They're just going to be doing compressions and rescue breathing. Mm -hmm. And so um, they found that even if you're a one-person rescuer and you just do compressions, you don't even breathe, you just do compressions until that ambulance arrives, you have a better chance of, of survival. Because when you're pushing on the chest, you're actually doing some ventilation, right? You're pushing on the lungs too. And so you get a little bit of ventilation. It's more just having um, access to an airway and providing full positive pressure ventilation that that airway side helps with. Um, so even when you're just pushing on the chest without a tube in, you're still ventilating them a little bit. So it's kind of, you know, you, you get, uh, it's, it's not so much a six dozen one, half dozen the other because you've got more advantage doing compressions with no intubation because you've got the ventilation piece happening. Whereas if you just intubated them and you stopped compressions, you have no blood flow. You have no perfusion. Gotcha. So okay. that's why. Yep. Prioritize no, those that, compressions. That totally makes sense. Okay, cool. So that, that's, C, uh, that's CAB. So compressions, airway, uh, and breathing. And 100 uh, compressions, 10 uh, breaths per minute. And and that's where we are. Yep. Okay. Now, I still have a lot of concerns here, right? I'm assuming right. this is... Um, this is a hypothermic cat, probably. Right. Um, you know, uh, are, we're not we're not getting fluids on board, anything like that. What is your next priority after I've I've got some compressions, I've got some breathing? Do you do anything until you see if you can get this cat breathing and heart beating again? Yeah. Where where do you go from here? Yeah, that's a great question. So in this case, um, while you can have two or three people doing basic life support, the you know the veterinarian or the the kind of most you know advanced technician in the staff does need to be kind of thinking what is going on here. And in this case mm -hmm. scenario, I would 
be thinking trauma, hypovolemic shock. So in this case, absolutely get a catheter and try to get some fluids going, warm fluids, uh, you know, warming devices on the cat to try to warm them up if, you know, if you do take a temperature and it's low. Um, Not all codes, you know, follow the same paradigm. And if it's a, um, you know, I want to kind of, you know, make an asterisk here that if it's a patient that's a normovolemic arrest, meaning, you know, they were pink and juicy and then they, they arrested, fluids are actually not indicated and can actually be harmful. So really those, you know, boluses of fluids we used to do in codes really just need to be reserved for this kind of a cat, a pale dog, you know, those kinds of things where we really do think hypovolemia has contributed. So fluids, warming, um, you know, try to get a little blood, some diagnostics. Um, ultrasound is going to be great here too to just kind of flash stuff, but you don't want to stop the BLS process to do some of these, these ancillary things. Okay. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, diagnostics are going to be based on what the owner wants to do. I'm assuming a, a lot of times when they come in, well, I mean, that's just the, the yeah. hard truth of it. You know, when they come right. in and they're like, I think my cat's dead. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get them to, you know, pay for yeah. radiographs, x-rays, ultrasound, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, listen, you're, you're right on in the sense that you could, you could run, the code on this cat with basic life support, you know, so you got some, some, one of your staff doing compressions, intubate them. And then you can move into even advanced life support with get a catheter in some fluids and ECG and look at treating the arrhythmias and not Mm -hmm. doing the other fancy diagnostics. And that would, I believe would be perfectly within standard of care because if you get that patient back and the owner is then fully on board to continue kind of post CPR management. Yeah. PCV central line ultrasound, you know, all that kind of stuff can happen then. Um, so the good thing is that, you know, other than maybe a very small proportion of cases, like for example, a block cat that dies where you'd really need to, you really need to ideally know that cause you want to try to get that potassium down to try to save them. You're mostly going to have, um, animals where if you just do the, what you think of as a normal code without all the fancy stuff, perfectly acceptable. And if you do get them back, you could dig deeper. Okay. Are there, uh, for just for the code that we're talking about, the owner hasn't approved diagnostics, anything like that. They're kind of right. like you know they're like see what you can do but yeah, you yeah, know yeah. we don't think we're getting our cat back um are there emergency drugs that you're reaching for yeah yeah good question so at that point so let's say we got bls going um oh you know owners of let's say we're okay with like some warming and fluids and and like epi and stuff but we're not going to do all the other stuff so get a catheter in uh, maybe give some fluids in this case get them warm and then the ECG is going to be the next priority because we want to kind of see what arrhythmia, um, if there is any, what's what's you know causing this issue and what we can treat it with. So there's three big ones in veterinary medicine: um, asystole, which is your flat line; um, V-fib, ventricular fibrillation, which is your squiggly line; and then um, pulseless electrical activity, meaning you see kind of a complex on the ECG, but the patient has no pulse. So the first, the the first and the third one, acystaline PEA, kind of fall in the same group. So um, you know you're basically doing basic life support. You can give epinephrine. Um, you could administer atropine. So your atropine is going to try to um, speed the heart up or remove any kind of anything causing bradycardias that have slowed the heart down. So you, you give them atropine. And then epinephrine is going to you know a lot of people think actually epinephrine starts the heart. That's not actually what it does. It actually causes systemic vasoconstriction to shunt blood back to the core, which then if the blood is in the chest and the heart's trying to beat, we're actually pushing blood into the heart, which will then start the heart. So it's a secondary thing. 
Um, so that's why I don't give epinephrine into cardiac. That's an, we don't do that anymore. That's not, that's not a thing. Um, we don't want to do that anymore. It doesn't have any benefit in these kinds of things. So you can give epinephrine, but what it's actually doing is it's like a blood pressure drug versus a heart stimulating drug um, in CPR and then atropine, those two. Um, the only other, you know, the, I mean, there's a lot of other drugs. We can talk about lidocaines and calciums and stuff, sure. but those are so rarely used. Um, and then defibbing, you know, if you have a defibrillator and the patient's in V-fib, um, the indication is to go ahead and give them a shock. So those are, that's kind of where you are. Um, and then you kind of run these cycles of CPR. You kind of, you know, do some compressions and stuff. You check, you give some drugs, you repeat, and those cycles continue for a period of time until you're ready to call it. Yeah. When do, when do we call it? When do you call it? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I think, and, and there's nothing published, this is 100% my own opinion, and I will step in front of the firing squad for this. I think three to five cycles, and a cycle of CPR is two minutes, three to five cycles um, is appropriate. So you've got your first two minute lead up, and then let's say you do three cycles, so that's six more minutes, and then another final two minutes to see if anything's worked, that's eight minutes. That's your minimum, um, but you know you can go up to, to 10, 10 to 12 minutes. Um, I mean, people have coded animals for hours before, but I, I think 10 minutes is your minimum. As long as you've got, you know, as long as you've done a couple rounds of basic life support, you've, you've, you know, attempted to assess an arrhythmia, you've given a couple rounds of drugs, you've given it, you know, five to seven minutes for those drugs to work. At that point, it's probably appropriate to call it. I don't think that you should call it after two minutes, nor do I think, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of CPR on a patient who's 19 and has riddled with cancer is, you know, in my opinion, appropriate, but that's, that's the veterinarian's call. And if the owner, you know, wants you to move forward, sometimes you do. Um, but I think 10 to 15 minutes is your minimum. That's a, that's a good code. I think if you're looking to try to try to try, you know, basically after, at that point, after that, there's no increased chance of survival. Yeah, cool. David, thank you so much for your time today. This has been so helpful. I really, really appreciate it. You got it anytime. Thanks buddy. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you think it's worth sharing with your friends out there in the veterinary trenches. If there's something that you would like me to take a crack at, if there's a topic that you think would be good for the podcast, shoot me an email. The email address is podcast at drandyrourke.com. That's podcast at d-r-a-n-d-y-r-o-a-r-k.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Gang, until next time, Let's be the vet techs and the veterinarians and the front desk people and the practice managers and everybody, the kennel techs, all the people that work with animals that our patients deserve. See you next time. Bye.